and um, he is uh, the founding publisher uh, of North Atlantic Books. Uh, he has a PhD in anthropology from the University of Michigan. Uh, he's authored uh, several books. Uh, some of the titles are uh, Dark Pool of Light, uh, Reality and Consciousness in the Night Sky, Soul and Cosmos. Um, he lives in Portland, uh, Maine, and Berkeley, California, so he's, uh, he's bi-coastal. Uh, and uh, today we're actually talking about uh, his newest book. Uh, the title is Bottoming Out the Universe, Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing. Okay? And he promises me he's, he's, uh, he's, he's not a science geek, and he's going to talk to us about this in uh, terms we can understand. So I will hold him to that. Uh, Richard, uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you, Karen. Um, I appreciate you being here t uh, on this uh, on this beautiful Sunday, Richard. And uh, your book is uh, is definitely uh, interesting to me. Um, and, uh, and and let me tell you to uh, at the very top here. If I say anything dumb, feel free to connect me. I don't have a thin skin. <laughs> I would rather understand what we're talking about than pretend I understand uh, that uh, you know what we're talking about. So I guess um, um, I want to ask you. Um, you know, if we boil this down to, you know, as we explore consciousness, the universe, uh, uh, the nature of reality, um, and some of your your press materials, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, matter uh, is protons, neutrons, electrons, down to the smallest particle, which are quarks. But what is beneath the quark? Um, I don't know. As a, uh, you know, in in my sensibilities. Um, you know, as I kept reading the explanation, uh, I wonder if I got it because what I came away with was uh, the idea of if we think something or believe something, it's almost as if we manifest it into being. Um, could we be doing that with the universe? I mean, is that uh, is, is that what's happening here? Is it, you know, almost like our own uh, hologram or something? Uh, that's um, that's a question with a lot of uh, operating at a lot of different frequencies, and and I would preface my answer by saying that Karen and I had a few minutes before the show to just kind of check check out who each other was, and she. She emphasized that um, uh, she wanted to stay away from science geek type of uh, discussion, which I do too, because I am no more science geek than she is. And um, I, I find science interesting as a language, uh, a philosophy, a religion, and as an attempt to describe the reality we experience. Um, but I certainly don't want to write about it uh, within the confines of science or talk about it that way. So uh, then in terms of the specific question, it's one of those questions of which there are many to, to which the answer is both yes, yes and no. Um, of course, what other answer could there be to such a deep question? But I would say no at first in the sense that 
it's it's dangerous and has been dangerously misused on all sorts of levels by people who thought that just by thinking something that they could create it or that we make our own reality. Um, on the other hand, um, I think that it's um, it's it's profoundly true in that I, I in my version of the universe which of course is always a working version um, consciousness is what's shaping the universe maybe not consciousness in the sense of each individual person how they think of their consciousness but consciousness itself is shaping our consciousness and also shaping the material universe and I do believe that the material universe that we see out there has been shaped by consciousness including our own consciousness to some degree over a kind of timeless time and that um, and that matter has taken the shape it has because it's essentially a projection of consciousness and those quarks or whatever the smallest particles we find, we can't see beneath them because at a certain point we're looking through them at ourselves looking in, um, I guess. I've never actually said it that way before, but that's what occurs to me now. So, all right, well, I I, I know I'm throwing you a curveball here, but the, then but it begs the question then what shapes consciousness? Um, well, that's like one of the great questions of of our species. Uh, I, I would think in some way that the first hominids asked that question as they discovered that they were conscious. But I think that it's most interestingly articulated in like the old very old Hindu texts which speak of consciousness as self authenticating that is it doesn't actually need a source it, it is the thing and here I'm you know sort of sliding into a Hindu or Buddhist cosmology but it's the thing that arises of itself which is kind of beyond our comprehension a thing that arises of itself um, uh, there, there is no explanation for it it, it is the explanation for everything um, the, this awakening awareness well and, and, I, and I, I guess and, uh, we could make the comparison here that that's where, uh, where God then comes from you know that's that's the um, explanation we get. Then uh, God then is the is the creator, or goddess is the creator. Then um, you know unto himself, unto herself. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I I think that that's true, and any any attempt to limit God or goddess to a particular form or a particular authoritarian order is is merely um, a, a kind of, a, in some ways, a theft of the of the notion of a divine um, a divine arising. 
Well, and, and I think, too, it sort of limits. Um, I mean, look, you know, with our monkey brains, we need to understand things. And we, um, I guess we, we try to, um, you know, make it simple. And uh, that's the best we could do to understand the vastness of all there is. Um, well, I, um, yeah, yes, but I don't like the phrase, the best we can do. I, I'd rather think of us as always, as our very existence as being a reflection of the best we can do. So the best we can do is not only very good, but it's also always evolving through us. Well, true, true. I mean, you know, our thoughts on uh, on on what the universe is certainly has evolved over thousands of years. Um, and well, and it's also evolved, I guess, to a point where some people think the universe is a computer sim- simulation. What do you think about that? Um, I wonder. You've probably read my little playing around with that trope in in my book. Um, I make the argument that uh, that, the, that the fascination with this is an example of a technology um, that's gotten so crazy that it's lost all perspective of its own context or dimensions, um, because the the notion that we could the notion that that we that we're merely a simulation inside somebody's computer screen is really a projection of our fascination with our own technology and as we see that technology is not is not even enough of a success to to let the human race survive long enough to reach that imaginary point um, because it's not able to keep the oceans clean or the atmosphere at at a at a temperate level um, it's not such a such a great or perfect technology but at the same time, I argue, of course, it's a. This is all a simulation, in that it's made out of, you know, atoms or molecules or quarks, whatever level you want, level you want to say, and it's and and those are formed by consciousness. So we are within a simulation, but I don't think it's a simulation by super technologists. I think it's either like using the language we, we've used, it's a divine simulation. It's, um, it's a reality that um, one of my teachers, uh, John Friedlander, likes to say, um, science has it backwards, that, it's, that um, it says this is all real but, but meaningless, whereas it's the opposite. Um, none of it is real. It's a simulation, but it's incredibly meaningful. Okay, well, you know, I guess um, in the computer simulation, um, the way I think of it, and I'm not saying I believe that. I don't know what I believe, quite frankly. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, just sort of gathering ideas and facts, and uh, who knows if I'll ever come up with what I actually believe. But uh, the matrix comes to mind, you know, uh, or the mm-hmm. idea that, you know, for lack of a better word, um, you know, the computer screen is, let's just call it, you know, God's or goddess's computer screen. And if we have free will, 
well, you know, they're just sort of letting that, com- you know, they're, uh, you know, they're they're letting the simulation run, even though the, uh, you know, the atmosphere is poisoned and you know humans or uh, sometimes horrible creatures and all of that. You know, they're watching what um, what develops. Um, I don't know any any thoughts about that, either the Matrix analogy or. Um, you know, well, the, I think it's uh, it's a it's useful as a meta- metaphor. Yeah, it's useful as a metaphor. Um, I don't know that that one wants to get, or at least I wouldn't want to get hung up too much on on getting wrapped in the metaphor, um, because I, I think that its its use is to, as you say, about even the, these discussions on your show. They're not to come to any answers uh, because there aren't answers in that sense, but they're to inspire and spark people's individual thinking um, and um, and allow people to um, grow a little bit by exploring on their on their own. It's not so much what you or I say as what the people listening think as we're talking. Okay. Well, in there's this idea of uh, the difference between consciousness and personal identity. Um, speak to that a little bit, uh, because I would, I, I guess maybe most people think they're the same thing, or are they not? Well, I this was for me a fairly central thing I came to as I constructed the book. It wasn't really a book at a lot of phases. It was notes about different things that interested me. And one of them was just sort of thinking about consciousness and realizing that especially in light of discussions of artificial consciousness or the consciousness that r- runs unconsciously um, in many, in us, but also in in other animals, and thinking that, Really, our interest is not so much in consciousness. I mean, a robot has seemingly has consciousness at some level. But our interest is in our personal identity, our identifying with that consciousness as being our own. And I don't limit that to humans. Um, I, in my book, I say even a worm um, seems aware of its own identity as separate from um, the rest of the universe it doesn't pose it to itself it has no representation of that but it behaves in terms of it okay okay i get that i get that well you know you also um you know uh you know th- there was something about the uh animal consciousness that um uh it that came with uh your materials um uh you know, how is you know is animal consciousness? Do you think it's different from human consciousness? Well, it is, um, and I think it's a mistake to, or at least for me, it's a mistake, uh, a mislead to think of it as lesser, um, because it's each each um, creature's consciousness, and I would extend it beyond even animals. Um, I'd extend it to plants at some level, and there are people who would extend it to every, to matter itself. But I think each consciousness is attuned to the reality of its own existence. And the 
and the the um, sort of boundaries and necessities and issues around its own existence, and those are going to be very, very, very different. So, um, human consciousness is evolved along a certain parameter, but I don't think that it's a better or more effective consciousness than the consciousness that's in other entities. Okay. Well, and I know in your book, too, you you talk about um, UFOs, fairies, and poltergeists. Um, what were your thoughts on, on those? Well, since you bring them up to get – well, they're sort of different things. I, um, UFOs okay, so we'll and fairies – UFO and fairies could kind of be, well, could they? No, I think I'll take them separately, okay, and try and be brief. Fairies, I think, um, operate um, at a slightly different frequency than the human frequency in the same landscape. And, you know, you can be all over me for this, especially those who are science-oriented, but I'm not going to dig into that any more deeply. Um, and I put it that way because in places like Ireland and Iceland, people see fairies and leprechauns and gnomes and other things. And I think it's because they're operating at a slightly different frequency, uh, a subtler frequency than us. Um, angels and devas and stuff, too. Then UFOs, I think of as, as being um, not interstellar ships because I don't think you could build ships that could get from one star system to another or that that's um, a, uh, a, 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 a kind of realizable goal. But I think that there are objects that are traveling along either an interdimensional seam or traveling, traveling on the boundary between matter and consciousness that we discussed earlier. And that's why they're real enough to register on radar and sometimes leave artifacts, but they're not real enough to ever land or, or I mean, unless you totally buy into Roswell, be, be caught or captured or whatever. Um, and then poltergeists, um, I think, are, um, and, and this certainly fits the popular notion too, are are human spirits that are no longer embodied. And they and I should add they may or may not have personal identity since we brought that up. Um in in the in in the frames of reference I've kind of followed, poltergeists um are often just relics of human existence. That is they're created by a human spirit having inhabited a body and then no longer inhabiting it. And there are certain unresolved issues around that. And those issues form their own, um, their own kind of uh, borderline object that's partly matter and partly, partly um, spirit or consciousness. And, um, and then other poltergeists may actually have personal identity. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's really interesting. Um, and but and so that makes me have to ask you, where? I mean, does does the is the ghost then? I mean, do you think there is such thing as the ghost? And where does you know how does that fit into um, 
you know, what you've just said about maybe poltergeists? Um, well, in some ways, ghosts and poltergeists uh, are, ju- are synonymous, and uh, and poltergeist is uh, is a more technical term for ghosts that have been, you know, have been seen, have been identified and seen and studied. Um, I guess if I were to try and take a, a broader view, uh, I would say that ghosts ghosts describe the general the general realm of spirit um, spirit and personal identity that um, hovers around the edge of the material world. All right. Well, that I, I could I can go with you there. Um, well, you know, you've um, you, you've you've mentioned frequency and you've mentioned interdimensional, uh, you know, as you know, in relation to the UFOs. Um, so uh, let me just kind. I mean, I, I again, you know, no expert here, but I've been curious about the idea of frequency uh, for a long time. I think it probably started back uh, when I read the Celestine Prophecy series. Are you familiar with that at all? Well, once upon a time I was somewhat familiar, but I I haven't thought about it for a long time. But you can yeah, fill I mean, in. It's, it's, yeah, I mean it's it, it it's basically the the for and for listeners out there who maybe haven't even read it, um, it sort of gets to the point where you're uh, you know we're all energy, we all vibrate at a cer- certain frequency, and um, we're working toward this place where we're no longer in our physical body. We sort of return to that. Uh, energy body, you know, that's kind of like our, um, I don't know if you'd say our goal, but, uh, you know, when we've risen to the highest level, uh, you know, we kind of go, uh, I'm saying back to source, but I'm not even sure if that's right. We return to our energy body. And, um, you know, this whole idea of frequency seems to be coming up a lot in my uh, in my consciousness <laughs> uh, lately, you know, I've been, you know, reading about there's uh, these uh, these uh, vibrational frequencies at sacred sites. Uh, there's the God frequency. Um, I think 120 hertz frequency, um, you know, is is uh, what we find supposedly at these sacred sites. And you know, I don't know. I guess I'm wondering. Um, is is that something you've explored? You know, humans as um, as a frequency, and we vibrate on different levels. And you know, the idea if we're maybe not sort of of a good person, and we're in this dark place, we're vibrating on this very low frequency, and uh, maybe that affects the quality of our life and our choices and our attitudes. Where if we can raise our frequency. Well, you know, we have a better chance at, um, uh, you know, moving through the world successfully, that sort of thing. Um, does that make any sense? I mean, uh, or or are you with yeah, me there? Sure. Do you have any thoughts about that? Sure, yeah. Well, one thought that occurred while you were talking is that we not only return to energy, but if we were energy – where energy that has sought a denser frequency in order to experience itself as a body. And I'm, you probably have run into that, that before, that we're not in bodies accidentally, that we've chosen to vibrate at this frequency. 
And I guess otherwise, as you were talking about it, I think what struck me, because I fall back on the word frequency a lot to explain a range of different things, that like any word, it's and that word's a particularly good one, um, it also sort of uses itself up. So you, you say frequency in relation to this and frequency in relation to that, and at a certain point, you don't even really know what you're saying. Um, you intuitively know that you're talking about something you can feel as a vibration, and you know that that um, that um, waves of radiation, radio waves, and other waves uh, shift frequency, and you know that the body um, does have a vibrational quality, and that all these things are true, and they can be wrapped together in a kind of um, a, a philosophy or uh, even a kind of guideline to spiritual practice. So in, in that sense, I'm completely with you and agree, and I agree that spiritual, that, that like sacred sites and um, have a frequency, have their, their own frequency. But I just accept it all with a little bit of a caveat that um, that you, you once you've thought that, you have to go deeper into it and more experientially into it. And at that point, it, the word frequency may disappear and you may experience t something very different that you would give a different name to. Okay. All right. Um, well, and, and, you know, this idea of frequency is also making me think about uh, things like uh, wormholes or portals or uh, let's just say places where the veil is thinner and maybe you can travel into that parallel universe or this other dimension. Um, am I am I get going too far out there now? No. <laughs> the, and because we're we're using language so um we're staying within the confines of language, which will keep us pretty, pretty much uh, not from, from not getting too far out. I think wormholes are different from portals, though. Wormholes are a kind of scientific thing that describes the movement of matter and how matter can collapse and, and sort of r cause rips in itself. And... I don't think of uh, my other people think differently. I don't think of them as viable human objects. I mean, you might as well um, try to walk through the sun as to um, like travel through a wormhole. On the other hand, portals seem to me very human and spiritual, and they're the they're the windows that lie between realms of experience. And portals are very special. Um, I think uh, I, when you mention it, I think of the most recent use I've heard of it, which is the um, spiritual elder, um, um, the Sherry Mitchell, who's uh, a Penobscot um, First Nations woman in Maine. And not this year, but in previous years, in July, she's invited indigenous elders from around the world and also just people who are interested to come together and see if by their um, collective presence they can open a portal together. And her purpose of that portal is to participate in healing 
in such a way that you don't um, you don't demonize either the the parties don't demonize each other, and in particular, victims don't demonize the, those who have victimized them. But together, by um, sharing a uh, we'll go to that back to that word that frequency by sharing a frequency, they change something. And I don't think of that portal as being a distinct window in in space or time, but an interior window that opens simultaneously for everyone there, and that they they feel at a subtle energy level. Okay, yeah, because you know when I think portal, I'm thinking we're going to travel from one place to another, kind of like an outlander. You know, when they touch the stone and they go from the past to the future, and you know that sort of thing. But you're talking about something different, where it's almost as if opening the portal means, um, ta- you know, the collect the collective there, the people gathered, tap into a different frequency, if we will. Um, and and with the intention of healing, because how do they know when they open the portal that that's going to be the result, healing? You know, that that's what comes to mind for me. Well, in um, in in the universe, in a universe of meaning and uh, and and sort of spiritual freedom, when people work together with um, with like healing intention. The, the they they can be pretty much sure that the um, obstacles they encounter are going to be healing obstacles. They're going to be part of the crisis of healing, um, as opposed to a more sci-fi-like universe in which um, a, a sort of um, um, antipathetic or or um, uh, evil aliens try and come in through the portal. Um, I don't. I, I. I think that those are projections of our own um, our own primitive, undeveloped parts. And of course, now we, we talk. We we have our conversation in a world in which, um, in a certain sense, a virus has come in through a portal. It's come in through. An unguarded place, and um, and in a certain sense, it's been very malign. Um, but we, at the same time, have the possibility of trying to um, engage it in in at a level of positive intelligence and 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 an ultimate um, um, like growth and and change. Well, that you you've stumped me there. I have to say, we're we're talking about the pandemic when you when you uh, in in that last part of what you're talking about, you're seeing the pandemic, um, the virus as kind of a consciousness. Um, well, um, I thought you were going to say you see its its entry as a portal, and you're going to ask me as how I see it as a portal. But instead, you're asking me how I see it as a consciousness. I I I wouldn't overly personify it like and say it has a consciousness except insofar as everything has a consciousness I would say that its entry into our system um, confronts all of these shadow aspects of our own consciousness 
and it takes all these things which are part of our world but which have kind of lurked on the outskirts and it pulls them in very sharply and suddenly so that we have to confront them and this is true especially in terms of our uh, politics and and our economic system where the um where the 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 portal where where the virus i won't say portal but the virus has changed um our it's changed our consciousness and awareness in really profound ways that we wouldn't have imagined before it arrived True, uh, true. I, I I grant you that. Um, well, I, I I do want to go back to the idea of energy for a moment. Um, energy and portals, I guess, um, because it, it made me start thinking about reincarnation. Um, you know, if uh, can, can you uh, would you maybe define um, reincarnation? I guess if you believe that's a thing. Um, as uh, our energy going in and out of uh, of portals necessarily. Um, well, you could. Um, I guess. I guess just for the sake of interest, I'll play de- devil's advocate um, and just say that there isn't so much reincarnation as there is incarnation, and we're incarnated now. We're incarnate now. And on many levels, we exist um, simultaneously in different parts of time and space, only we're not aware of them. We're not explicitly aware of them, but they sort of support and shape who we are. And in that, we're participating with all the other entities in, in the universe or multiverse or all that is. And when we speak of reincarnation, in a certain sense, we're applying um, time, the element of time, to something which is sort of timeless, that is, existence. So in a way, we exist timelessly as all different things. And maybe another way to look at it is when we're no longer embodied, we move out of time into timelessness and into a a kind of, um, we move into the, more of a kind of sum of all our existences. But even now, as we live, we represent, I mean, in some systems, we represent all of our future selves as well as all of our past selves because time time is an artificial element that doesn't exist at an ultimate level. So our few, you know, if you believe in multiple selves, our future selves are just as much part of our present self as our past selves. And 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 am I understanding you right? You're saying that our that this is all happening simultaneously, uh, not over the course of like linear time. I, I yes, I guess I I must be saying that. Um, in my book, <laughs> okay. in my I book, I commit. I think uh, the chapter eleven, uh, multi personhood. I commit to totally discussing this notion of of uh, thing of multiple lifetimes occurring outside of any individual time. I don't um, hold either myself or anyone else to that. I simply posit it as a way to think about our existence and see if it if it enlarges it and makes us understand things um, 
better and have more and find more possibilities in our life. All right. Um, all right. Well, um, Richard, we're going to take a break. Uh, I have to go to commercial here for a moment. Uh, but when we come back, uh, I want to talk to you about some other stuff. Um, uh, in noetic sciences, I know there's been some um, talk about doing experiments uh, on whether we can uh, weigh our soul. And uh, I know in your book you talked about uh, the Sethian cosmology. Um, you know, uh, you're, I, I'd like you to explain who Seth is and um, uh, your, your thoughts on Seth. Um, so that's, that's where we'll go when we come back. Uh, but um, for right now, uh, especially for those uh, listeners out there who feel called uh, by the fairy faith, um, listen closely because this will be about Joe Carson's book, uh, Celebrate Wildness. Celebrate Wildness has practical instructions on how to make your own fairy ring henge, how to magically restore any place to its original wild harmony, how to feel the shapes of the earth as if they really are a part of your own body, and even how to initiate yourself into the Ferraferia path. From early Ferraferia member, John Beggs. What a beautiful, inspired, and inspiring book this is. The text is a delight, augmenting, interpreting, and celebrating the drawings that the singer sometimes adds another dimension of understanding to a musical composition. It has the glow, glory, and joy of a masterpiece. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper. It is written by filmmaker Joe Carson, who made the film Dancing with Gaia. You can get it for $45 from the Ferraferia website at ferraferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. So just to clarify, Joe Carson's magical book, Celebrate Wildness, is available only at ferraferia.org. And uh, it's spelled F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Okay. Um, if you uh, have just tuned in late, uh, I am speaking to Richard uh, Grossinger, and uh, we're talking about his book, uh, Bottoming Out the Universe, and uh, it's an exploration into consciousness, the universe, and the nature of reality, and I have been picking his brain here. Um, so uh, I, I do want to go back, uh, Richard, real quick before we leave the subject of uh, past lives, um, and I... I wonder, um, you know, can they be uh, considered um, proof of um, of linear uh, rebirth, or or did we answer that already? You you think that it's rather than linear rebirths, where uh, you know maybe you live out a life, you know, for uh, sixty years, you die. And then maybe five years later you come back or whatever. You think it's more of a simul? You're you're living these lives simultaneously, or well, could it be I, linear rebirth? Well, that's what I proposed. The idea that that on a deeper level we're living them simultaneously. At the same time, though, we are within time. And in my book, I give uh, probably three whole chapters to discussing 
um, in different contexts, evidence for linear past lifetimes, for sequential lifetimes. And I, I go to um, the, what seemed to me the most, um, the most uh, striking um, case studies. Um, I deal with Ian Stevenson. I go into detail on Ryan Hammonds, the boy in, uh, I think it's Muskogee, Oklahoma. And I discuss uh, James Leininger, the boy, I forget where, where exactly he is, somewhere in the south, who, um, who remembered a past life as a World War II fighter pilot who, who died in a, in a crash um, during a battle. Um, I, uh, so I entertain both notions simultaneously because they, 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 could, they could simply be the same phenomenon experienced at different levels. Okay, so so you're not of the mind that these past life memories are a fraud or a delusion, then? Um, uh, when you ask a question like that, I I don't think that they're a fraud. Um, that's that's a I, I don't I don't think that there's any motivation sufficient motivation for a fraud at the scale that they exist. Um, uh, could they be a delusion? Yes, they could be a delusion, and I think that there's probably a part of me, like almost everyone else, who considers they could be a delusion. But for me, that's a small part. I think maybe only five percent of me thinks that they could be a delusion. But occasionally, I think that. Well, yeah, because I mean, I'm thinking about, uh, and I know the fighter pilot story where the the young, you know, the young boy. I think he wasn't even school age. He kept referring back to uh, his life as a fighter pilot, and his dad looked into it, and they were actually able to track it back to who he was before. And uh, I'm also thinking of the woman in India who uh, was able to name her husband from a past life and relatives who were still alive, and they lived in the next town. Um, You know, she came back quickly enough so that she was able to, um, uh, you know, actually reconnect with these people from her previous life. Um, It's hard to – it's hard to – uh, think of something like that as a delusion um, when there's so many people maybe corroborating it, unless it was a uh, uh, unless they were all delusional. <laughs> uh-huh. True, true enough. And the India example, um, I, uh, I have many examples from Ian Stevenson's files, the the um, investigator at the University of Virginia, um, that that. Uh, almost sound identical to that one and maybe include that one. So, no, I don't think it's a delusion. Um, I I merely was trying to point out that um, there's a part of us that, uh, that, you know, our own being goes through many, many different uncertainty states about our own basic uncertainty state. Well, I wonder, you know, as long as we're talking about, uh, you know, reincarnation, and I'm about to ask you about if if you think we can weigh the soul, um, have you uh, thought about, you know, when, you know, this uh, physical body dies, uh, what happens? I mean, is there something next? Um, Yeah. Uh, You know, what's after death? Um. I don't know. <laughs> none of us, 
none of our 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 nervous systems, our whole neurological system and our relationship to higher planes is is almost perfectly encrypted or set up so that we can't answer that question in our own terms. We're not supposed to in some way answer it that way. Um we've we've designed a reality which is meant to be um completely self contained so that we can participate fully in that reality. But um to go to the question, um you asked me about it. Um you even asked me before the show when we discussed possible questions, um, can you weigh the soul? Um uh it's another one of those I think that there are that there are two answers to it. Uh, if you believe in the soul, if you believe that the soul is absolutely purely spirit, then probably you can't weigh it. But I know that there have been experiments whereby the body has weighed, I forget how much less, um, immediately after death and before death, that suggests that the that the soul, as it um, as it kind of interpenetrates matter. Um, a, a sort of I don't know if I call it weight, but it it um, extends mass into matter of, of, at a kind of um, subatomic level, so that the weight shift is very slight. So in that sense, I guess maybe you can um, weigh the soul. I don't know that you're weighing the soul. I guess you're weighing the uh, the energetic interaction between the soul and the body. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That makes sense. Well, and for anyone who's interested in uh, looking into that a little bit deeper, I think it was the noetic sciences people who were uh, doing those uh, experiments. Um, so, um, and there may be others, I don't know. Uh, but Richard, you um, in your materials, you also talked about us, uh, you know, where you know, this all fits in with Sethian cosmology. Um, tell, tell listeners uh, who Seth uh, and Jane Roberts are and what that has to do with, um, you know, what, what you are suggesting in your book. Um, the, yeah, the um, when my book was just notes, um, some of those notes, many of those notes, revolved around my work with John Friedlander, who um, is um, a psychic teacher and theoretician, who um, was with Jane Roberts, um, one of the group that sat with Jane Roberts during her latter period of, of um, receiving receiving Seth's signal, and um, or his message, however you would frame it. I'm trying to avoid the word channeling, um, but that's what it is by common um, parlance. So um, it, it, I think back in the 70s when I first read the Seth books, I thought of Seth as being a very wise um, person who had been embodied on earth but was no longer embodied on earth. And then my next understanding of it was that it wasn't one person but it was a kind of um, configuration of 10,000 10, or more um, intelligences, who had, each of whom had completed many life cycles, and that they were sending out a signal um, throughout all that is 
the different entities could interpret at their own level. Um, and then I went from there to an understanding that Seth was Jane Roberts' own evolved form, communicating with her, and that it still was a kind of collective entity, but she was part of that collective entity, and it was coming through her and could only come through her um, because only she stood in relationship to her future self as Seth. And then, I guess the last understanding I had of it was that John Friedlander and others, not him alone, continued to, um, to, and I'll use the word here, channel that same intelligence and body of information. Um, and that if it, and that in a certain sense, it was just Seth continuing through other people. And I think John's work um, is, is Sethian in that sense. But in another sense, it is, um, it is, since only, since Seth could only come through Jane Roberts, it really is simply channeling a, a um, either the same, um, the same kind of um, collection of information or me message unit um, somewhere located somewhere in the universe, um, or a different but affiliated uh, wisdom. So that in general, what I would call Sethian is, um, the, is the concept of there being um, sort of blocks of wisdom left accessible to us or maybe any entities that they tap at their own level of understanding. And so it changes over time. Even the printed books of Seth's writings change over time because the, and the the words have a high energy and density and that, that can actually shift without the actual words shifting. And I also, in my book, and this is a very central theme because it, it somewhat uniquely defines what I'm doing, I contrast Sethian thought with Buddhist thought because Buddhist thought, by Seth's own um, acknowledgement is the mo he sees it as the most sophisticated reality system on earth but he takes issues with certain aspects of it um or maybe not of it but how it's interpreted and and Seth believes that this incarnation is absolutely essential and not to be transcended to become enlightened because as he put it or maybe it's John who puts it this way we are an enlightened consciousness that chose to incarnate at this level so that's enough <laughs> I mean it's not the end but okay. it's enough to let you come back in and bounce off that well you know a uh, couple things came to mind the first one is uh, is Seth um, the Akashic record um, you know, I, I it, you know when you said that maybe Seth was a composite uh, of, of many uh, beings uh, or uh, sources of knowledge. I forget the phrase you used, uh, but it made me think Akashic record. Um, uh, have you given thought to the Akashic record? Do you think it's real? I um, have, and I, could, I have, and could, I've. 
And I've not thought of it as identical with Seth, but it is an interesting idea. I mean, it's certainly certainly something worth playing with. The Akashic Record is supposed to be everything, not just what Seth has to say um, or, or the Sethian uh, multi-personhood has to say. But maybe maybe what's coming through as seth is is the um is the akashic record um meaning the um the the um the kind of storage of all the information um in the universe which of course would be to use the metaphor would be a hard drive much bigger than the universe right right um, well, and, and the other thing that uh, you, you triggered for me, um, you made me think about some recent shows we've had. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a, a weekend double feature on trance work and how to access, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, let's just say God, Goddess, or uh, or the ancestors or spirit beings, you know, um, how to go into trance. Who might you reach on the other side? Uh, and I guess from your perspective, um, what do you think about that when someone, um, aside from, you know, I mean, Jane Roberts and Seth, or, or unless you think it's, it's sort of all the same thing, you know, if someone goes into trance at a ritual or goes into uh, trance during meditation and they communicate with, uh, you know, let's say uh, Isis, or uh, you know, or an ancestor, or a fairy. Um, I mean, how would you interpret that? I guess. Um, pretty straightforwardly, I'm I'm envious because, in my experiences, I've never I've never encountered something so concrete, and and autonomous, yet. Um, I have had experiences that um, that I've in, uh, where I've encountered forms that seem to me to have identity and 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 substance and information and guidance, but it's for me it's much much subtler and uh, and it, it flickers between this world and another. So I am, uh, as I said jealous that um some people can just do it and make touch um and and have concrete experiences of of um numinous and extra bodily beings well and and the reason I ask is because you know I'm a person that you know I don't want to delude myself you know um it, it, but well have uh, you had any such you know, experiences yeah, yeah, I actually have, and that's why I was I was uh, I, I was actually um, curious about trance because the few times I actually did it, I stumbled into it as opposed to you know sitting down with the intention of okay now we're gonna uh, you know we're gonna do this ritual and and we're gonna uh, try to make a connection and and I wanted to examine a little bit closer. Um, how it happened, what did I do, you know, possibly inadvertently, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so and that sort of took me yeah. to, to some books. 
Well, yeah, and and well, that's what the whole weekend uh, of sh- of uh, you know the weekend show was about because there are actually books written um, about how to uh, how to accomplish it. Uh, Diana Paxson has a book out. Uh, Janet Farrar has a book out. I think uh, Jennifer Farrar's is Lifting the Veil, uh, and you know they talk about you know how to do it. Um, oftentimes. Um, you know, like you know, it it helps if you're sleep deprived. It helps if you haven't eaten. Uh, you know, the, there's there's lots of different ways to do it. Repetitive, um, repetitive sounds like drumming, uh, mantras, uh, things like that. It will kind of take you there, and that's what we were talking about. You know, and uh, because apparently a lot of people do it, and the reason I brought it up with you is because, um, you know, I'm still sort of at this place where I wonder if the connection that's being made um, is the person that goes into trance really connecting with their higher self. And, and of course, you know, how do you define that with certainty? Um, Or are they really connecting with who they think they're connecting with, you know? Uh, so, you know, that that's kind of the big question mark for me, I guess, and I didn't know if you had any thoughts on it. Well, what I, what I would say is in a certain sense it replicates. It's like in a certain sense you've asked this, me the same, and I, I don't mean this in any sort of a judgmental way, uh, just sort of analytical, that you've asked me different versions of the same question. And... I think that the answer to that question is the, is in some way the answer to other questions you've asked, which is that we're not given a, a path to certainty here. It's not part of the deal. So as you do these processes, you have to make your own meaning and in, in many cases make multiple alternate meanings. And you have to develop your own sense of guidance, your own um, way of evaluating evidence, because nobody can do it for you from the outside. And that way, this process is very different from science. You can't have independent objective validation, Um, although God knows parapsychology and parapsychics and other things try and and do that, and maybe marginally they, they do. But it's really not not what this domain of experience and knowledge is about. And that's kind of discouraging in a way because you're flying blind. But it also is encouraging in that it leaves you an open-ended process of of discovery, um, which I would say on some level is probably what the life is intended to be. It's probably intended to be... Um, uh, an open-ended discovery, and I think that the most difficult thing by far about our civilization is that it, is, it has replaced that with a totally materialistic and commodity-based and, if we want to get political, capitalist system, but the communist system was no different in its materialism, um, it's, uh, in which people are expected to, in a sense, labor through a solely material existence and to derive their value from objects and and from objectified relationships. 
and uh, well, I could go on, but um, I don't want to um, leave you hanging there, so you pick up. Well, no, well, no, I, I couldn't agree more with with what you were just saying. I, I think that's absolutely true. You know, I I think we're uh, we're sort of stuck, uh, or we allow ourselves to be stuck, uh, like the hamster on the wheel, and we toil, uh, you know, from uh, you know from womb to tomb. And I don't think that's what uh, life is supposed to be about. You know, um, I, I've I've been exploring that idea for for quite some time too. You know, this idea of how can we escape the wasteland and be nothing more than, uh, you know, our value is just a consumer's. Uh, anyway, but that, that's another show. But, uh, but I, I, totally, I totally agree with you there. But um, that does um, uh, bring me to my last question, and then I'm going to, you know, let you um, share with listeners maybe uh, any thoughts that uh, maybe I haven't um, uh, haven't asked you that you want to leave them with. Um, you know, in, in your in your uh, materials, uh, one of your talking points was uh, is scientific materialism and uh, an inadvertent source of Trumpian ideology. Um, first, explain the question and then give us your answer. Um, well, that comes from being asked to kind of frame my book in questions, and of course. Um, that enters um, the kind of hot hot seat of, of political um, political talk, which has its its own its own risks. What what I would try and say most neutrally is that, um, and I think this is actually a pretty big issue, which is that the progressive left um, tends to be anti-spiritual and very materialistic, and that. The um, the so-called right, but I, what we might call the, the 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 collection of people who support Trump, um, have a huge component, uh, to put it in a positive light, of seeking spirit, a spiritual freedom, which has been taken away from them by this kind of progressive, technologized materialism, and although. I myself tend to be liberal and progressive. I, I am not so on all counts um, in the sense that I completely believe in a spiritual universe and I do not believe in a, in a society which has been restructured and politicized and ideologized in order to, um, to, to fulfill particular social values. And so... I was arguing that scientific materialism, which strongly opposes Donald Trump and, and his beliefs, which are um, constantly anti-scientific and counter-scientific, that actually it is, it is in some ways the, um, one of the major sources of his strength because, the, because science is not ideologically neutral. And when it pretends to be, it um, it opens up um, it opens up space for people who want for one spiritual freedom from science and for two people who are smart enough to realize that um, that that science is a religion and um, and and is hiding things as well as revealing them hiding things that don't fit its um, its its belief system so that's 
more or less the answer to that question. Okay, uh, I, I I get that. And well, you know, I uh, I mean, I was just writing a chapter about uh, you know the stuff that uh, you know that that is it abuse and exploitation when academia doesn't. Um, reveal things that doesn't fit in with their their understanding or the status quo. So um, I can kind of go there with you. But, you know, I guess I'd just say um, I think the, I, I consider myself progressive left, and I'm certainly spiritual. And uh, I don't know. I think that um, the left gets a bum rap. Um, when um, they're labeled um, anti anti spiritual, um, I, I I think that's just um, uh, a, a way for the right to um, you know poke us with sticks and act like we have you know spirituality or morality when um, that's not really in fact true. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> that is another um, conversation, and I, I certainly am not supporting the religiosity of the right. Merely the sort of inchoate um, spiritual yearning of people in general. Yes. Yes, and and I mean, and let's. I mean, I know uh, Trump has, uh, you know, at least before the pandemic, you know, he certainly had uh, evangelical support. Uh, but you know, it, it, I, that's it's not a hypocrisy religion. for me. Right. Exactly. It, to me, that's not that's not religion. I mean, if they could uh, support a person like him, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is, uh, is his hair's on fire somewhere. Um, but anyway, um, let's just uh, kind of leave it, you know, all that at that. <laughs> Maybe we can come back and talk <laughs> about that, that an, an, another time. It's best, it's best um, at that. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, Richard, I'm going to let you wrap things up. Um, you know, I, I know there was probably a lot more about your book that we didn't get a chance to say. Uh, was there anything important that you felt like we didn't cover you want listeners to know about the book before I let you go? Um, oh, I, when you said that, I was thinking I, I should talk about um, the pandemic. But uh, since you mentioned the book, um, I, I guess what I would say is the book was written just before the pandemic. Um, so it's, it doesn't appear in it. It's not mentioned in it. Um, and I, I think that it's uh, an almost perfect matrix setting up um, a discussion about it because so many of the topics are topics that have come into new meaningfulness that have to be reexamined in terms of the pandemic. Um, the, the meaning of our lives, the nature of life and death, the, um, the whole, um, the, whole the, the general purpose of existence. And um, I've, actually, I've actually taken um, sort of the threads from the book and um, extended them into a piece. I, I think it's called Coronavirus Notes, um, Subtext and Supertext which is part of an anthology. I'm now working for Inner Traditions, the publisher of Bottoming Out, and I'm doing an imprint called Sacred Planet Books with them, and we're putting out this whole anthology called the Coronavirus Transmissions, which is meant to be sort of affirmations and subtle ideas and healing healing um, tips and things coming out of the pandemic. 
And I think that my book extends kind of out of itself into those notes because books are sort of artificial uh, barriers, just just as it extends back into my earlier books, like my writings on embryology and cosmology, the night sky, on healing, planet medicine, and so forth. So that's probably about all you want into that slot there. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I, I agree with you. You know, I'm hoping that the – uh, you know that the pandemic does raise uh, issues, and um, for the people who uh, are at home, sheltered in, and quarantined, um, I'm hoping this uh, time off the hamster wheel uh, will maybe give them some pause uh, to reflect on, uh, you know, the, these these very meanings. You know, um, uh, I, I had a blog post recently. Uh, I was having a conversation, and in the blog post. I talked about this conversation I was having with a friend uh, who told me uh, about the benefits that came out of the Black Plague. Um, humanism, uh, critical thinking, uh, the middle class, uh, a bunch of positive things that came out of Black Plague. And I'm hoping likewise um, we have a lot of positive things uh, come out of this as people rethink their lives, you know, and we don't keep accepting uh, so much abuse and exploitation uh, as normal. You know, hopefully we'll use this to change things in, in a more positive um, a positive direction. Uh, well, Richard, um, I, I want to thank you so much uh, for your time today. It's it's been really interesting, and uh, just uh, to uh, mention your uh, title again, uh, the one we were talking about today uh, is "Bottoming Out the Universe: Why There Is Something Rather Than Nothing," uh, which was an exploration into consciousness of the universe and the nature of reality. And uh, your website for anyone that wants to go. Uh, explore you a bit more um, uh, is uh, your name is Richard uh, Grossinger uh, Richard G-R-O-S-S-I-N-G-E-R dot com It's currently under reconstruction so you'll see a muddle if you go there now but hopefully within a month it will be reconstructed but you can also look at okay. the muddle if okay. you want <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and, you know, my listeners don't always, uh, they are, you know, oftentimes, you know, they'll come back to this show uh, at their convenience. So, uh, you know, so they uh, they may not actually get there until, uh, you know, your site is actually, uh, um, you know, ready to go. But, um, but you know, they will they will know how to find you, richardgrossinger.com. Uh, thank you, Richard, uh, very much for all the thoughtful uh, sharing you've done with me today. Uh, thanks, Karen. All right. Uh, well, that about uh, does it uh, for me today, uh, dear listeners. Um, I hope uh, hope you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. And uh, I'll be back with you on Friday uh, with Caridwin uh, Falling Star. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, her book. It's kind of a memoir of a shamanic witch. 
she's actually very interesting, and her book is uh, is a lot of fun. I, I think you will enjoy uh, hearing from her. Uh, lots of great shows uh, scheduled in June and July, and uh, if you haven't already clicked the follow button on my show page, uh, please do, um, because that way uh, you'll be able to get right to the show. You won't have to worry about... Um, um, you know, uh, calendar, uh, putting a show on your calendar. All right. Um, so until uh, until we meet again on Friday, um, uh, may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. And remember, would you focus on what you what you nurture that tends to thrive, and what you neglect it withers. So think about that and uh, make sure you're doing the nurturing and the in the neglecting in the right places. Uh, All right, thank you, and goodbye until Friday.